There's no doubt that small businesses are the foundation of our communities. That's why MasterCard has invested in tools to support small business owners as they grow their business. With MasterCard tools and resources, you can increase sales by shortening checkout time, broadening your customer base, and tapping into new opportunities to increase customer loyalty. So get started. Discover all the ways MasterCard can help guide, grow, and protect your business at mastercard.ca forward slash small business. At Scotiabank, we know how important thriving businesses are for the strength of our economy. Our team of experienced advisors across the country can provide you with tailored advice, leading products, and valuable resources to help achieve all your financial goals. We're here for every future. Let's get started today. Visit us at scotiabank.com slash smallbusiness. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, where we talk to Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and changemakers. I'm your host, Rick Spence, and as a business journalist, editor, and entrepreneur, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, successful, and scalable. Join me every Tuesday at 10 a.m. ET to hear new stories of Canadian entrepreneurs and learn about the moments that mattered most on their journeys. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. Entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. On the show today, we're thrilled to have Rena Kular. Rena Kular is founder and CEO of Agilis Executive Consulting, a management consulting firm in Calgary that offers HR partnerships and executive coaching to organizations across the globe. With a background in leadership strategy and professional development, Rena develops and implements business strategies unique to an organization's corporate culture, providing a competitive advantage for its people, its business, and its strategic success. In 2020, in the midst of the pandemic, Rena launched her firm in Calgary. In just under a year, she led the firm to success across six continents and 10 countries through a storytelling series about executives which we're going to learn more about today. Rena has shared her journey with Forbes through the Forbes Council, and she's been nominated for an RBC Canadian Woman Entrepreneur Award for Innovation. Rena also contributes to Forbes and to Entrepreneur Media, and she's a member of the Harvard Business Review Advisory Council. I'm looking forward to this. Rena, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's exciting. Thank you. We're delighted to have you here, and uh, I'm looking forward to talking about some of your amazing achievements just in the past couple of years. But before we do, our first question is designed to make sure that uh, our listeners, our very busy entrepreneurial listeners, know that we've got real good information to share with them. So what is the top piece of advice that you hope our listeners will take away from today's conversation? Um, Rick, I think if anything, I would say uh, to go for it. I think that entrepreneurs, there's an entrepreneurial spirit in everyone, you know, both as an employee, as a business owner, we always think about what, you know, could happen um, that could be detrimental perhaps to our outcome and how we measure success. So my piece of advice would be is not to actually think about what can't happen or won't happen, but focus on what can So when you focus your energy on the learning opportunity versus the outcome, then I think automatically you start driving a strategy and developing it 
both in your mind and uh, then tangibly towards your clients' and audience's needs. So I think the biggest uh, piece of advice I can give today is that I think everyone and anyone can do it if they have their mindset on starting uh, their own business, a startup, an entrepreneur venture. We all have it in ourselves. So don't let fear guide your thoughts or prevent it from making any decisions that will be rewarding. If anything, overcome the fear and the unknown and just see every step as a win and a learning opportunity. I love what you say, Rena, about uh, look at the uh, about don't focus on the outcome, focus on the learning opportunity, because that way you can't fail. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's always a win. And it's easy to keep focusing on the outcome, you know, versus uh, intrinsically. I think the intrinsic motivation is what's going to matter the most. But so, so, so help me understand this. Though. Um how do we know what the learning opportunity is when we go into it? We don't know that we're about to get our head handed to us. Right. Absolutely. And there's a learning right there in itself. I think there's a self growth. You know, we talk a lot about uh, leadership and executives and um, their journeys, you know, and how uh, their self-awareness and self-reflection has led them to where they are professionally in their careers today and how they define success as a result of what they encountered along the way and how closely tied our personal and professional lives are. So um, I think the learning opportunity, if anything, the most of it is who you become and what you learn and how that helps guide who you're meant to be for yourself. I think, you know, if you, you have this mindset of always being a student then you'll always seek opportunities to see where you went wrong without it necessarily feeling like it was a failure. You know, that word is so heavy, but we can change our mindset and how we think about that. Love it. Let's go back to the beginning here before you experienced all this growth uh, and perhaps before you started Agilus. Where does your experience and work in the management and leadership consulting sector begin? Um, this is now years ago. I'm dating myself, but um, I do have over 20 years of experience now in human resources management and consulting. But this began prior to when I started even university. I lived in the UK in London for a while. And um, for the short term, I worked with this incredible international textile organization. And I learned a lot about trade export and the industry's connection to exporting trades and businesses to consumers. And um, that in itself, I think what I learned, not so much the focus on the business and the revenue generation and how the transactions internationally worked B2B and B2C, but I, I, I think what I gravitated to was the workplace culture and the people and how doing business across uh, borders is actually not that hard once you understand and recognize your audience and your clients. And to do that, recognizing the culture in the country that you're hoping to do business with. So it, it, it starts and ends on the foundation of that relationship and how to create that. So um, when I chose to um, proceed forward university and you know did human resources management and the people practices as my major, that led me through uh, to Calgary, where uh, Calgary has been home and have worked here my entire career, I'm proudly saying. And so I think the, the clientele that I ended up gravitating to was professional services. And although I was local in Calgary, 
my clients and my employers had offices across Canada and the globe. So it gave me an opportunity, again, to expand my skills into that international space. And it really interested in me. I mean, in particular, the people in the workplace cultures and how to design uh, roles and design opportunities for people to be successful within their countries, but also across their teams in different countries as well. Can you design a workplace culture? I think of it as something that you find when you peer into the organization. And I think of it as something that might be difficult to change. You know, uh, that's, I think COVID has been, you know, a learning opportunity for a lot of organizations and their leadership teams to use this idea of personal branding. And every organization, of course, you know, comes with its brand identity and it's recognized for what it brings to an audience based on its logo or its motto. Um, but through COVID, what we've learned is it's actually the people, the, the amalgamation of people that work in the organization and their personal brands actually is the wholesome brand identity of an organization. So today, you know, when we talk a lot about retention and identifying how individuals' personal brands resonate with the corporate culture of a company, that's the challenge organizations are working towards identifying is how do they reward and attract, grow and retain their individuals uh, to continue to develop their brand to what it's meant to become. So it is, it is very difficult today, I think, to design organizations based on benchmarking and um, what traditionally may have been what is required for an organization versus today what we're looking at is who's in the organization and the skill sets that these individuals are bringing to the table and their experience and how we can actually design roles to best utilize the skills of the people in the company currently. Wow. And have you always been consulting or did you have a real job for a while after you started up in Calgary? Um, no, I've always been actually an employee. I've always joined. I've had, um, honestly, the, the blessing of joining these incredible uh, organizations, professional services part particularly, and uh, law firms. And I've joined um, at a moment where they were looking for a new role to develop their people practices. So coming in with fresh eyes and developing something from scratch and building that infrastructure to support the organization's strategic objectives has always been where I've landed uh, for almost the past 15 years. And Agilis, and uh, prior to this, my initial consulting firm, Novus HR, was my first uh, tap into maybe I can try it and see if I can widen my audience and widen my, my clientele. Perhaps what I'm doing for one or two law firms could be expanded into several other clients in the same industry or other industries and see if it's going to work. So what was the the, well, the difference between your first consulting firm and Agilis? What, what, where, how did that journey get you where you are now? Um, the first consulting firm was focused specifically just on human resources practices. It was a time in Alberta, Rick, where the Alberta Employment Standards Codes had not changed in 37 years. And we were going through um, building guidelines for employee handbooks and policies and updating those. And there was a lot of need for subject matter experts to create these um, uh, books to, to support organizations in what the new laws 
were uh, specific on when it came to people practices. So when I started Novus HR, Novus is um, Latin for new. So I thought, well, this might be a nice play on words. I could, you know, Latin has been a bit lucky for me and I could design and, you know, a consulting agreement with organizations that are looking for my support to join their team and create these policies. And so I did that for quite a few years. And uh, right before the pandemic, I thought perhaps what I should do is look beyond human resources and start looking at uh, overall management consulting and um, become perhaps a subject matter expert in diving into being a part of developing those strategic objectives, not so specific to HR, but perhaps specific to the organization's success in itself in, in you know, beyond people practices. But let's look at the workforce culture and let's look at the executive teams as well. Okay, let's see how many people I can get to hang up and stop listening to this podcast when I ask you this question. Agilus sounds like it's Latin too. It is. It is. It's been very lucky for me. So Agilus is Latin for agile. And uh, I use that word to create this company because it was right in the, in the onset of the pandemic. And I thought now if there's ever a time that people are going and really taking the time to take a look at where they want to see their careers evolve to or their organizations grow or not grow to, this is going to require a different mindset and it may require a lot of support from a consultant who can help them along the way, both from a coaching perspective and growing or downsizing their business perspective. So uh, agile um, is the word, you know, pivot, agile. We've heard it how many times in the last almost three years. So it's been, um, it's been lucky for me. And I thought, okay, so I'll, I'll do something different, try something different outside of the box. That's really cool. So what kinds of problems do clients come to you with? You know, I think one of the most, I think, prominent issues, both entrepreneurs, you know, from the coaching individual uh, coaching perspective and uh, executive teams from, um, you know, changes in their in their outlook for due to the pandemic. A lot of it is how are we going to design our workforce and, you know, talk about our culture and retain our team during a time where we are working um, remotely and hybrid work wasn't necessarily always an option for organizations. And now that it is, how do we keep the team connected? How do we continue to develop um, and personally develop our team so that they remain a part of our organization? So this has been something that organizations have not only struggled with in the past, but more so today because they want to continue to grow. Organizations want to be successful and leadership teams themselves want to be successful in helping their team grow into where they're meant to be and retain them. On the coaching side, when we talk about executives, you know, I spent a lot of time um, working with executives across the globe and uh, sharing their stories and hearing about what worked and what didn't. And those have been significant in the growth of my company because people are reading these these stories and they feel like, you know what, we're not alone. There's They're, they're resonating. There's a parallel of these 20 uh, incredible executive leaders across the globe that have been vulnerable and very open in sharing what worked for them and what didn't. And it's been enlightening for, for many executives to say, okay, so that there, there is a commonality here that we possibly share. We just wouldn't know it because we don't talk about it. So you're talking about the Forbes Council now? 
I'm talking about the extraordinary executives. So the articles, I wanted to do something a little bit different with Agilis. I didn't want to be just, uh, you know, any management consulting firm. What I did was I included um, an article series alongside my business to create this um, storytelling and how the importance of leaders and you know entrepreneurs to talk about what works and what doesn't and their journeys, and so that kind of led my my company to grow beyond uh, Canada, beyond U.S. and into different uh, countries. And so I was able to journal the the stories of different executives across the globe who work for some of the most uh, prominent organizations across uh, across the world. And so their stories are not very different from what we would hear if we start sharing um, some of the things that are working and some most mostly important some of the things that don't work when you're when you're a leader or when you're starting your own business. I mean that's really interesting. I mean, did, did you just figure content marketing was a good thing, or were you did you feel really moved to to sort of tell these stories and take sort of that pulse? of business culture and, and what executives were thinking and doing and going through at the time. Absolutely. I think I wanted to Rick, bring a reality to the world um, where we were facing, you know, amidst the pandemic, a reality that um, paralyzed many of us from making the decisions and choices that we were used to making day to day. And I think that the reality that I was hoping to showcase through these stories was we, we probably have an opportunity here to talk to one another, realizing that the world is not as large as it once you know, seemed to be, can make those connections. And instead of going straight into how can we work together, how about we talk about, tell me about yourself and how did you get to where you are? Do you have anything you could share that could be enlightening or helpful for someone else who may very well be paralleling your path? And I think that there was a lot of, as a result, I was lucky because through the storytelling with this team of 20 executives, there was a lot of insight that they gained and self-awareness that they were able to gain just by just by the moment of being able to share their journey from, you know, where they grew up to where they are today. So I think um, that there's, there's self-growth there. There's a lot of self-awareness and self-growth that comes out in both your leadership style and as an entrepreneur when you're, when you're trying to develop a client relationship. I've known a lot of entrepreneurs who tried to establish some thought leadership early on, whether it was through blogging or articles or whatever, and most of them gave up on it because it didn't move the needle for them. Why do you think this took off for you and Agilis? I believe it took off for me, Rick, because it was very, very authentic. And there was a vulnerability to the stories that I was highlighting through the leaders. And I think that the... The relationship that I developed with these leaders allowed them to become more vulnerable and share uh, details of their journey that possibly we don't necessarily always hear about. So what I learned through these executives is through that relationship and having both an authentic space and an opportunity to be real um, allowed them to, you know, talk about, hey, let's talk about what didn't work. And we always talk about what works and, you know, it, it went beyond the bio. If I could use that term, I know I created that, you know, a, a succinct series next to these article series, but it goes beyond what we read about 
someone or an organization just on the internet or their bio, we go beyond that and really dig into purpose and dig into value and how we're going to measure success. So I think that that, I think if anything, the reason it worked for me is I really did focus on the relationship and really did want to zone in on how success is measured so differently from country to country and person to person particularly. Did you do anything different or brilliant to uh, promote the series? How did, how, did, how did you get known? You know, um, I, I didn't. I can't necessarily say that social media is my best friend. If anything, it wasn't, uh, <laughs> it wasn't my catalyst to market, um, despite it working so well. And I am a promoter of it for organizations. It just wasn't what um, grew my business. I'm, I'm going to say it was probably the relationship and the opportunity for me to connect with these individuals. Um, you know, I think uh, they appreciated having the opportunity to talk to someone in an open, safe uh, setting and realize through that discussion, through the storytelling, that the goal for me was to highlight their purpose and share it with others who were probably wondering what their purpose was as well. So I think there was a learning opportunity here with my executive articles and particularly these leaders that they recognized were going to help other people. So I think that there was a collective collaborative uh, goal for both myself and them to want to share something that would um, hopefully be impactful and not knowing how impactful, but we were lucky and it worked. I'm thinking that when we when I think about the uh, uh, iconic entrepreneur, I'm thinking of people who are very driven, people who try lots of things and and aren't afraid and aren't afraid to stop doing the things that that, that don't work. I'm not sure how mindful they are. What, what kind of a link do you see between entrepreneurship and mindfulness and success? I think. Um... They are probably more mindful than they recognize they are if they have the drive to want to continue moving forward without knowing what the result will be and being okay with the result not turning out the way they want. I think this practice of mindfulness without even knowing that we're practicing it is really being aware enough to know what's going to work and what may not work and still proceeding forward. It allows you to probably deal with a lot of those emotions and the highs and lows that entrepreneurship brings um, as a practice, both from, you know, uh, a place of are we going to survive or how long can we continue before we need A, B and C client? It it allows you to probably be a bit more uh, uh, strong in your mindset in how to move forward without knowing that it will be successful. So I think the drive, I agree, the drive is there. The fear, knowing that there is fear, but still perceiving, proceeding forward, persevering through it is so important. Right. Can you share with us a case study from your work? What, what, what's, what's an organization that's contacted you and you've been able to help them discover what was in them all along to fix the problem? A lot of my work, it gravitated outside of professional services. So I I was able to, with Agilis, expand the industry, which has been wonderful. Um, And many, many of my clients on the coaching side 
um, often struggle with who they are. And when I say that, there's an opportunity to write uh, an amazing, beautiful, content-driven biography that anyone can tap into and read about when they want to hire someone, for example, you know, commercial real estate or, you know, um, residential real estate. How do they differentiate themselves from growing their brand and gravitating clients to who to retain their services. So, um, you know, one case study I can say is that we really worked hard, which was, you know, helping the launch of my Beyond Beyond the Bio series. We worked hard in developing and understanding how we can get particularly individuals like realtors who are entrepreneurial in itself to gain a client um, audience that will be retained for years to come and that they would recognize this realtor as who he is and why he works the way he does. So not just so much what he's done, but really fulfilling the purpose of why he's doing what he's doing. Is he selling a lifestyle? If so, why does he feel that this is a lifestyle he wants to showcase to his clients? So this was a really great opportunity, I think, for people don't really, you know, I, I think tap into the why. They don't tap into the how am I going to do this and why am I doing this as often unless you have someone there to really help pull that detail out and then redesign a strategy so that you can be successful in actually getting the right audience to want to buy your services. And uh, the, the discovering your personal brand, is that a specific service that you do for individuals as opposed to um you know, working on the culture of an organization. Absolutely. So it's the second part of my business. It goes alongside the coaching piece of my business. And what I call it is beyond the bio. And what I decided to do was highlight, um, you know, prominent figures and leaders across the globe, if possible, in um, going beyond their bios. You know, we I, I was had the pleasure of meeting these wonderful leaders to talk about, we know who they are and we know how successful they have been. And maybe we know how they measure success and maybe we don't. But the opportunity to talk to them and being able to bio them to help others who were coming to me to say, I don't understand what my personal brand is. We use this as a guide. Let's go through this exercise and figure out what's yours as well. So it's a huge part of my coaching business, and I think it's a it's a fun exercise, and it's it's really again, it's a huge self awareness journey that allows people to say, I did not know that about myself, and now I know where to maybe gear my energy and my thoughts and my focus in my business. I know so many entrepreneurs who go into consulting, and it's it it's generally a hard struggle. Um, finding those clients who, who are willing to pay, getting that flywheel moving is so important. And it, it's so hard for people to do. They generally get into it because they know a company or two and they work with them, but they actually have trouble then turning that into sustained work for other organizations. So, so what, what advice would you have for entrepreneurs looking at consulting or who are in consulting and maybe, you know, treading water? How do they get traction? 
The biggest way to get traction, um, Rick, is to talk about who they are. I think the foundation of success for any entrepreneur, specifically in consulting, is uh, the relationship. I think um, you have to differentiate yourself and your product from your competition. And by doing that, I think people need to know and recognize the name behind your brand. And so when I share, you know, answers, for example, you know, FAQs, I thought, okay, I'll, I'm receiving a lot of questions. Let me start something where I can share FAQs. People get to know a little bit about the, the face behind Agilis. Um, you know, Forbes, the partnerships, for example, with Forbes, Harvard Business Review, Entrepreneur Media. I really focused on credible organizations that would help highlight my thought leadership and through through writing and through speaking, you know, on podcasts like this, for example, it gives clients an understanding about the person. And and sometimes we don't we don't highlight that. So to tread water, I think there's always there's always a time where every entrepreneur is going to tread water. But the biggest, biggest piece of advice I can give is don't shy away from sharing who you are in whichever format that is, however you can do that. Share your thought leadership. Talk about what's worked and what hasn't. Particularly talk about what hasn't worked so that there's a realness to you and clients will want to know you and get to know you and say, you know what, I do want to do business with Agilis and this is the reason why. You know what, I think you have just opened the top of a box that could sum up everything. So I'd love you to talk a little bit more about this. You just said, you know, Talk about the things that have worked for you, but more importantly, talk about the things that haven't worked. And that is so much the opposite of what marketing is thought to be about. You never talk about what didn't work. You're always successful. You've got to have that image. Or, you know, I mean, obviously that's the the the, the old paradigm. So what is it that 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 leads you to say, no, don't be afraid to share the things that didn't work. I think that there's there's a lack of authenticity at times, you know, that companies feel that they need to hide, you know, um, what they feel is failure. And it's such a heavy word. Again, I use the word failure, but I'm very open with using it because it's, it's okay to fail. A lot of times people want to know what didn't work because it probably didn't work for them. So there's a learning opportunity here. When we, when we talk about what worked, it's, it's out there. We can see it on social media, you know, how you platform your marketing um, on those social media platforms, how you advertise. We're always going to talk about um, what's worked, the successes. If we start talking about what doesn't work, we're actually creating a learning opportunity for people who want um, who want an influencer to work with and to maybe a role model. So there is there is nothing more important when we meet with clients or when we talk openly like we are right now about some of the things that didn't work. There's humility in that. I think just we're so humble about wanting to share our successes, but we need to focus on the humility of sharing our failures as well and what we learned from there. So again, we're all students. Um, doesn't matter, entrepreneurs, uh, leaders, any role, we're all students. We're always learning. And the best learning is once you reflect inward and to see what didn't work, it'll only get better from there. Wow, I'd like to frame everything you just said. <laughs> we're all students, we're all learning. And it's just going to get better from there. I, 
I, that, that's such an interesting state of mind. And I think particularly in consulting, you know, uh, it's hard for people to admit they don't know that they're still learning. How, how, how has that worked for you? I think for me, consulting, you know, we're looked at the subject matter experts. You know, we're hiring uh, a consultant uh, because they're the SME to join our team to lead us to success for ABC. But I think for me, um, I always come in with this mindset that I'm not coming in to necessarily teach. I'm coming in to learn and learn not only skills that I may not have had, but learn with the team that I'm here for for this period of time. So really integrate yourself with the, with, with the client and who you'll be working with and create those relationships to get a better understanding, even psychologically, get a better understanding of the needs of your client and their goals. You know, sometimes clients have, you know, pressure that we don't know about and they have goals set that we're unaware of. Getting to know and understanding you know, what's driving your client to want to be successful and why they're hiring you is so important so that you can actually align your thinking alongside theirs to help them reach that goal and reach that success. It's not just the tangible product and it's not just necessarily, you know, the tangible outcomes. It's the intangible that we need to start focusing on, especially in consulting, that relationship, the psychology, uh, the connection. So once you understand that, there's nothing that um, there's nothing that can't be completed. If, if you're a team, you're a team, and I think that that's what's going to drive drive every consultant to be successful is seeing themselves as a part of that team. I used to do some ghost writing for a management consultant. I got to know him pretty well, and I remember uh, one of the columns that I wrote for him found its way to the desk of a pretty senior business leader in Canada who flew this guy out to see him. And he said, what can you do for me? He's, he was very old school. He, he probably wasn't big on the humility <laughs> part of the scale. Have you met people like that? And how do you charm them, convince them, go around them in order to help the two of you meet in the middle? Mm -hmm. I think um, I have met a lot of clients like that and worked with clients like that. Um, I think the biggest thing um, would be to be myself. I think over-promising leads to under-delivering, um, you know, going with the idea of what the client wants versus um, being open and honest about what may not work would be important. So the way that I've always dealt with clients who may have been somewhat rigid in the outcome and how the work should be done is share uh, an opportunity to say why that can't work. And if they're okay with the possibility of this outcome, then we can go forward. I think sharing uh, different scenarios versus just possibly saying yes to everything for the purpose of, you know, satisfying the client's um, need is probably better to share what, what could go wrong. And as long as the client is aware, at the end of the day, it is their decision, but developing that awareness, you would be surprised how, how I think important for the client it is to have that kind of aha moment that, okay, I was not expecting resistance. I was definitely not expecting to 
hear another side of what can't work. But now that I'm aware, I think I know how to move forward. Very cool. Rena, what's next for you and with Agilis? You know, Rick, that's exciting. I love hearing that that question. Honestly, I, I love being asked that because I don't know. And I think the biggest thing I've learned about launching Agilis and during the pandemic is the unknown can bring so many answers when you don't necessarily always plan. I've always been a planner. You know, I've always been um, very proactive in how to do this or do that, or both personally and professionally. And I think with uh, COVID, we couldn't. I couldn't plan the way that I was necessarily always used to planning. So now what I appreciate, the, the change that I've been through and the growth that I've been through is I can't plan. And there's, I think that there's that spontaneity and the excitement of the unknown. I never, I never knew how exciting it could be. And I never knew um, that not knowing what could be around the corner in terms of a client agreement or possibly me launching another series, it's, it's different. It taps into a different mindset for me that I've never used. I love it. The unknown can bring so many answers. I'm writing down everything you say. <laughs> Good stuff. <laughs> Rena, what, what's the, the uh, before I ask you the last question, I'll ask you my second last question, which is what engagement, what out, what client outcome has given you the most satisfaction over the past two years? What, you know, maybe you still have a relationship with them, but, but when did you say, wow, that, that really worked out? I'm really happy. Um, you know, Rick, I'm going to have to say it is the Extraordinary Executive Articles. I was not sure. I launched um, this little side you know, piece of my business as a storytelling opportunity, and I launched it with my father's journey, you know, an immigrant journey. And I wasn't sure where that was going to go, but I thought it would bring a reality to... Uh, a bit of my life, a bit of where, you know, my background, where I've come from, who my role models growing up were. Um, so I think for me, what's really been humbling and and honestly unexpected was the interest and the support for the remaining 20 articles and these incredible people who've said, yes, I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to share everything with you, Rena, and support you journaling it and writing it and launching it. And so that's that's a lot of like that's courage. That takes courage to be able to mm -hmm. to tell someone who you don't necessarily know very well your entire life story, knowing that it may lead to somewhere, it may lead to nothing. It it could just be out there to help people, and it could not. Just the unknown for them to be able to do that with me was was humbling. So that relationship, that's not something I'll ever forget. These relationships today are so important to me. And these leaders are honestly my role models. When I look at, you know, people that I hope to become like or achieve ABC with, I look at them and I think, you know what, that would be fantastic. I could only be so, you know, lucky, perhaps. All right. Rina Kular, Founder of Agilus Executive Consulting. That's agilusexecutive.com, based in Calgary. Final question. Do you have any final words of wisdom or advice that you want to share with Canadian entrepreneurs? How can they get a taste of that uh, of that magic cooler touch? <laughs> I would say go for it. I, there's nothing more I can say than 
just go for it because you have absolutely nothing to lose. If anything, you're going to lose if you don't try. So be okay with hearing no. Be okay with rejection. If the rejection is the outcome, just look at it as a personal development opportunity and not let that you know word necessarily feel so heavy. Just overcome the fear, have the courage, embrace the challenge, not knowing what the outcome will be. Because I think if we start focusing on the idea that every loss is actually a win, it will show itself in a win in one way or another in time. It just takes time. So you have nothing to lose. Go for it. If you have an idea, launch it. Just, just try it. Thank you so much for sharing your journey, all the stuff you've picked up along the way. This is a, a time of incredible change uh, in corporations, in business, in, uh, in, in our missions and the way we deal with each other. And I think you've nailed it, uh, how things are changing so fast. Uh, I wish you continued success at Agilus and we're going to keep an eye on you. Oh, thank you so much. It's been an honor. I really enjoyed this time, Rick, with you. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Startup Canada podcast. This show is produced by Lauren Hicks and Maddie Stiles, and it's made possible by the support of MasterCard and Scotiabank. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. Until next week, I'm your host, Rick Spence.